Good morning, church family. Thank you for joining us. Please turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning to read uh, verses 37 through to verses 45, 42. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the same, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the blank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the blank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the blank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Amen. Now, this morning, by way of introduction, I want to catch you up on where we are in our study in Luke's Gospel. Two Sundays back, we came to this section, which is famously known as Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. We noted that it is a gear-shifting section in Jesus' ministry. Because we found Jesus appointing his 12 apostles. And having appointed them, Luke tells us that he comes down with them on the level place and he begins to speak to them. And the words he spoke to them covers the words that we've read this morning. And they include the ones that we're going to be looking at next Sunday. So it's quite a long stretch of Jesus' teaching in this session. We also said the way we are to think about Jesus' teaching in this section is to think of it as the ordination sermon. In other words, now that he has appointed his followers, he now wants them to know what lies ahead. He's preparing them for what is going to happen in their lives because they followed him. He wants to give them his kingdom manifesto and his kingdom values. But ultimately, he wants them to know the marks of authentic discipleship. The first thing he tells them is that by, by virtue of you following me, you have actually chosen to live for the then, not for the now. In other words, you have chosen to live for the age to come, not for this age. As a result of this choice, Jesus tells them that 
They are hungry and poor now. They are weeping and sorrowful because they are experiencing rejection and persecution in this age. Jesus says to them, they are to count this as a blessing. Second thing, to, second thing Jesus tells them as a mark of authentic discipleship is love. And before you nod and say yes, I want you to know that there is a catch. You see, because this is a different kind of love. It's not the love for their friends. It's not the love for those who are easy to love. On the contrary, it is the love for the undeserving, the love for the ungrateful. And Jesus tells them to love their enemies and do good to them. And he says, this is the mark of authentic discipleship. He says, if you do this, then you are the sons of the Most High. If you want to get Jesus' teaching in this section in one sentence, it is a call to be different. And a call to be different right from the beginning, right from day one, the people of God have been called to be distinctive, to be a different people. And that's what holiness means. You must not do as they do. Leviticus 18 verses 3. Holiness means to be distinct because God is also distinct. He's different. But holiness is not just about being different. There is a missional dimension to the church's holiness. It's not just about being different, but it's also about being a blessing to the world in which we live. It's also about being the models of Christ values in the hurting world. And as they see these values in God's people, they want to follow Jesus. And today Jesus is going further, is going deeper into the heart of discipleship. Today Jesus is going to focus to the hidden heart attitudes which we carry towards one another. He wants his disciples to know that they are going into the world dominated with judgmental attitude. And he wants them to be different from that world. He wants them to be accepting and forgiving. And he wants them to be giving and generous. That's what Jesus wants his followers to be. He doesn't want them to be characterized by the judgmental spirit and judgmental attitude which distinguishes the world from his followers. Listen to verses 37 of our passage. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Those are very familiar words to us all. Every commentator I, comment, I consulted with this week agrees with one another that these words are amongst the most well-known words in the Bible. They are amongst the most well-known verses of the Bible. One of the commentators went even further and said they may have not read the Bible, but they know what these words say. Do not judge. However, while we recognize that these are amongst the most 
well-known words. We also have to equally recognize that they are also the most misunderstood biblical words. As a result, because they are misunderstood, they are also misapplied. It makes logic. If you misunderstood something, you will misapply it and misappropriate it. So, because for example, further on in our passage, Jesus tells his disciples to judge people by their fruit. He doesn't use the word judge, he uses the word descend to judge them and to discern them if they are Christ followers or not by the fruit they produce. Further on, the Apostle Paul challenges the Corinthian Christians to make moral judgments. And he argues and says to them, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? So surely then to say do not judge and end there, you have misunderstood what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus continues to tell his followers to judge people by their fruit. How then are we to understand these words, having made those arguments? Well, these words are an expression of the mood of our culture. It speaks of the fact that it is almost impossible in our culture to formulate or express an unfavorable opinion about, about a particular behavior and not being accused as being judgmental. As a result, many people and Christians as well have resigned themselves to comment on many issues around them in case they are accused that they are judgmental. They only do their, make their comments in spaces where they feel safe. A classic example that we all know this week is that of cliques and the EFF, the clique stores and the EFF, which dominated the news. The pulpit is not for me to give you, your, to give you my comment. So, our culture says to God, in his face, God, well, we want to live in your world, but we want to live in our way. Our culture says to God, we need a God who is exceedingly tolerant, and we need a gospel that is radically undemanding. We want a God who can bless us, but never challenge our lifestyle. That's what our culture says. We want God's blessings, but not his rule. We don't want him to be too personal, but we want him to make us feel good about ourselves. That's the mood of, the, of our culture, and the church is caught up in this. So the question, therefore, for us is that, is this what Jesus was saying to his disciples when he said, do not judge? Was he suggesting that we should resign ourselves from formulating and expressing an opinion that is unfavorable about our culture? Was Jesus saying, let's not say anything? The answer is a resounding no. On the contrary. You see, because to be a Christian is to have a highly cultivated sense of right and wrong. David Wells helps us to think straight about these words in the context of our culture. He says, the marketing, the marketing church has calculated that unless it makes deep 
serious cultural ad adaptations, it will, not, it will go out of business, especially with a younger generation. What it has not considered carefully enough is that it may well be put itself out of business with God. David Wells is asking us difficult questions about where our choice will be between God whom we claim to serve and the culture around us. Are we going to satisfy the demands of our culture which says we must adapt the gospel? Or are we going to be true and faithful to the demands of the gospel? And David Wells says if, if we, 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 we satisfy our culture because we don't want to go out of business, we may as well go out of business with God. That's a tough one. Who do we want to part ways with? Is it our culture or God himself? And so David Wells is challenging us all. The second thing I want to suggest in light of what David Wells has, tell, has told us is that we need an urgent biblical rescue of this word judge or judgment. You see, because our culture wants to narrow it down and drag it to the mud and make it a negative word. And yet the word in itself, it's a beautiful word. In its simple form, it means to separate. To judge means to separate between right and wrong, between good and evil. That's how the New Testament renders the word. But even more so, one of biblical attributes of God is described as a judge. God is the judge. And Psalm 98 celebrate God as the judge of the world. And judgment there in that psalm speaks of God who will come one day and put the world in its rightful place. And Psalm 98 gives a beautiful picture of what will happen when God puts this world back into its rightful order. We are told that the sheep and the animal community will celebrate. The sea will make a resounding sound. It will reverberate. The rivers and the trees will clap their hands. The mountains will sing together for joy. The people will be full of joy because God has charged with righteousness and with equity. For now we are told that this world is yearning for that day when God will come and put it in its rightful place. So that's how the scripture presents to us this word. We are to separate between wrong and right. And as Christians we have a strong sense of wrong and right because we know the God who created this world brought that order. And the Ten Commandments make it abundantly clear for all of us. Now, as we bring this message to conclusion, I want us to go back to these words which Jesus has said to us 
and pick up three areas of application. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The first thing Jesus is telling his disciples to have nothing to do with is condemning judgment, verses 37 and verses 38. He's talking about a judgment that condemns, a kind of judgment that flows out of arrogant spirit and self-righteousness. That's what Jesus is talking about. That kind of judgment has nothing to do with the spirit of Christ. And it should have nothing to do with those who are followers of Christ. Here in our country, in South Africa, we have what I have called in some of my writing, deliberate deafness. Because when we speak to one another, we scream. We don't engage. Everyone is right, and therefore they have nothing to hear from the other person who disagrees with them. Jesus is saying here, sometimes it's not that you are wrong, what you're saying is wrong, but the spirit and the tone in which you are saying it can make the other person to switch off. We have people in our country who are tone deaf. Biblically and morally, you cannot fault them, but their tone evoke irritation in you and you want to retaliate. So that's the first thing Jesus is warning us against, a judgment that condemns. It should have nothing to do with us. The second one Jesus is calling us to do is a discerning judgment, verses 39 and 40. Over and over in the New Testament, we are told to discern, to discern even the spirits. So on the one hand, we are to have nothing to do with the judgment that condemns. But on the other hand, we must not be naive. We must be alert to the power and the reality of evil that is all around us. We must be able to discern between right and wrong between the, the righteous and the wicked deed. And Solomon, who is known as the most wise king, made this beautiful prayer. He said, give your servant a discerning heart in order to be able to distinguish between right and wrong. We need this prayer again and again in our lives. Lastly, Jesus is saying to his disciples, verses 41 and 42, we must not be hypocritical. Stay away from hypocritical judgment. Do not be hypocrites. When we look for what's right and wrong in the lives of other people, we are not to be hypocritical. We are terrible at seeing our own faults. That's what Jesus says. Our vision becomes unclear there. But we are brilliant at picking up the fault 
at other people's lives. Have you noticed that? You see, we can see a speck of dust in other people's lives and miss the log in our own eyes. We maximize the fault of other and minimize the faults of our own. And we do this in every situation, at work, at home, and even at church. And Jesus suggests that if we're going to be critical of other people, we must first engage in self-examination. We must first take the plank out of our own eyes. Then we can see clear to remove the dust from my brother's eyes. We have to judge ourselves first. We need to make sure that we are critical of, we are as critical of ourselves as often are to other people. But also we need to be generous to others as we are always generous to ourselves. The question therefore is, do you have anything that is obscuring your view of your brother or sister, of your colleague or friend, of your family member? From time to time I find myself in a space where I'm thinking critically of other person. And maybe to a point where I enjoy speaking ill of them. And when I find myself in this space for a long time, I look deep within myself and ask myself, what is it that I'm running away from? What is it that I'm trying to make myself feel better about by make, talking about somebody else's sin? And as soon as I do that, I realize my own sin that I'm trying to cover up by comparing myself to the other person. And ask myself, why am I being a hypocrite? And the question I often ask is, who is worse between myself and the other person I'm comparing myself with? And the answer is over and over, me. Because not only am I sinning, but I'm also justifying my sin. Not only am I sinning, but I'm unwilling to repent. I'm putting excuses why I do what I do. Jesus is telling us to stay away from judgment that condemns other people. He's telling us to stay away from judgment that is hypocritical. But he's telling us to embrace a judgment that is discerning. That is separates between what's right and wrong. Let's bow away. Once again, Lord, we want to say to you, forgive us our sins. And we are almost reluctant to say as we also forgive those who sin against us. Because in reality, we don't jump easily to forgive. We like to make ourselves feel good about other people's faults. We ask you to forgive us. Amen.